0: Hi, I'm Rebecca Cohen and I'm Maya Grants and this is the sauce the culture and politics podcast where we drink cocktails and ruin the stuff you love and today we're gonna ruin a little Top Gun we're gonna ruin a little Tom Cruise everyone is in love with this new Top Gun movie Top Gun Maverick it got a standing ovation at Cannes at the Cannes Film Festival yeah, yeah. So we're gonna ruin it yeah All right. I'm really excited to talk about Top Gun and Top Gun Maverick, which Maya and I went to see together in person in the movie theater a few weeks ago. Oh, my God. In the same movie theater where we saw Clueless 20 years ago. Oh, my God. Was it? Yes.
1: (laughs) How do you remember that? Because I will never forget how we howled with laughter and everyone in the theater looked at us like there was something wrong with us. Like they didn't understand it was a comedy because it was the world they were satirizing oh was their world.
0: I remember now. And we were like I remember now. yowling with I, laughter. And they were when like, she talks oh. about, when she talks about the potheads who hang out on the grass, yes. I remember yes. you died.
1: And <laughs> everybody like turned to us like, hey, guys, this is a serious story. I was like, are you
0: fucking <laughs> kidding me? And um, people also stared at us. Weirdly, when we laughed through all of Top Gun Maverick, but (laughs) yeah, (laughs) (laughs) we'll get into that in a few minutes. Before we get into all that, we got to check in. And how are, I mean, how are you doing? Not so well. You're still recovering. (laughs) I'm still recovering from COVID. I'm on day uh, 13, where day zero was my first day of symptoms. That's how the CDC oh God. counts it, which means that I'm fine for going about my life unmasked if I so choose. I m- mostly don't have symptoms anymore, but I mean, you can probably hear it in my voice a little. Yeah, yeah. I lost my sense of smell about a week ago. It's still pretty much gone. Um, I can smell a little bit, but not enough to like actually be a functional sense of smell in the sense of i was out at a restaurant just the other night um with matt and a friend and i was telling her about it and she was like oh so you can't smell that smell of burned pizza and i was like no. what smell of bur- oh no that is such a and, bummer yeah. and she and ag- and matt both agreed that It smelled like a pizza had earlier been burned in the restaurant and it was pervading everything and it was like a really strong smell. And I was like, no, I have nothing. And I could not taste the pizza that we ordered either because as everyone knows, a lot of taste is smell, which is why I am drinking what I'm drinking right now. Which is? Hot water with honey. Oh, very good.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Very good. Oh, that is such a (laughs) fucking bummer. So then what are you eating? If you, if you can't taste anything, how are you nourishing yourself? This is such a good question.
0: Mostly granola bars because they are sweet and have a nice crunch to them. Because all I can really taste is, you know, salt, sour, and sweet. That sucks. Yeah, it fucking sucks, My <laughs> I'm really tired of it at this point. I also have been having these persistent headaches. And the whole point of all of this, listeners, Is not because you're so interested in every detail of my health, but to explain to you that drinking does definitely cause a headache flare up. It definitely triggers headache right now. So I am foregoing. I don't want anyone to panic. I don't want to cause (laughs) alarm unnecessarily. For the time being, I am not going to be drinking at least for the next few days, maybe weeks. If I'd known that, I wouldn't have had this beer. No, I love that you are drinking. I have to... um,
1: I'm drinking for both of us.
0: Vicariously, yeah, enjoy it through you. My worry is that somehow I could ruin drinking for myself. That like if I drink and it gives me COVID headaches, then for the rest of my life, that's what's going to happen or something. It's almost superstitious. But I also just want to not have headaches. So I'm gonna lay off let's focus on no headaches Mm -hmm. ever
1: listeners if you have weird symptoms as this ba5 variant rips through the country Mm -hmm. um and you want to share them with us in detail we want to hear about it come join our patreon we are patreon.com slash sauce podcast all of our patrons uh at any level, get to join the SAW Speakeasy, which is our Discord channel, where we've all been agonizing about the overturn of Roe v. Wade, which we spoke about in our live episode last week. Of course. Um, And we've been hearing about just general anxiety. Uh, Dr. Richard Silvera says that He doesn't believe that Biden's executive orders to pharmacies or doctors is really going to do much good because there's already such a chilling effect of providing women appropriate health care where they need it. and, but but uh, yeah. I want
0: to emphasize here that that wasn't just a good segue on Maya's part. It's <laughs> true. I actually want to hear about your COVID symptoms. <laughs> I want to know. I want to know because it's actually, I'm, first of all, it's nice to know you're not alone. And that's yes. true for the Roe v. Wade thing and for everything. For everything um, about that. But also I'm fascinated by by the way that COVID has manifested the different strains and the different types of symptoms and and I've heard so many interesting stories and I would love to hear from listeners about all of those topics and other stuff, what you think about Top Gun and after you've heard this episode, what you thought of our analysis and how right um, we were. Also, there's
1: a wild conversation about the Obi Wan show, which <gasps> you didn't like. But there's like a lot going on, so you got to get on there because a lot. It's like, all right, I missed maybe... the Obi Wan conversation. All yeah, time you got to you got to get in there. Like that
0: show. Yeah,
1: and there people are very excited about this show, so you're gonna have to ruin it for I'm them. I'm sorry. It See, we ruin things for you not just on this show. We ruin That's things right. on the Discord. So join yeah. us there. We'd really love to hear from you.
0: Yeah, that's patreon.com slash saucepodcast. Thank you to all of our current patrons who are making this show possible and um, who make our lives less boring and more interesting.
1: Yeah. All right. So long time listeners know that we have actually talked about Top Gun before. But we didn't really, we didn't do a close reading of the movie at all. We used it as a way to get into the figure of the maverick. The sort of character who like, he doesn't follow the rules. He gets in trouble with his superiors, but he gets results because he's just that good. Like, we talked about the sort of political impact of the maverick archetype in our country. We didn't really get into the movie.
0: Yeah. And... It has had a substantial political impact, especially when you consider like that John McCain has regularly been called a maverick so much the word is associated with him.
1: Oh, he loved that shit. He didn't
0: like he leaned into that one. So you should check out that earlier conversation because it's actually kind of interesting. And we talked a little bit about the trope of the Maverick in culture. Uh, These characters like Dirty Harry or Axel Foley from Beverly Hills Cop, very popular in propaganda. Um, that character who just can't seem to follow the rules, right? Just got to do it his own way. But
1: his way is always the best way, though.
0: I mean, right? That's because he knows better. That's the thing. He He knows better. He's only being held back by all your regulations, your government regulations. And that's so forth. <laughs> right.
1: That's right.
0: So I thought that was a good jumping-off point for us to talk about Top Gun.
1: So we're going to talk about the original movie. And do the close reading that we didn't do then. And then we're going to talk about the sequel, Top Gun Maverick.
0: Great. So when it comes to the original movie. And... Oh, wait, wait, wait. Guys, what? guys, hold on.
1: Hold on. Obviously, obviously spoilers. Spoilers oh. for everything. Spoilers for this yes. 30-year-old movie. Spoilers for this three-week-old movie. spoiler, spoilers, spoilers. spoilers, spoilers. Forty, and if you 40-year-old keep... movie, for... I think. Oh, shit. <laughs> uh, so spoilers, <laughs> we're not sorry. If you need to pause, go run and see the movie, come back, here's your chance.
0: Right. Okay. Although the first part of this is going to be about the original Top Gun. So if you've seen right. that and not seen the sequel, you can listen. We'll let you know when we're going to start talking about the sequel. And All right. then you can pause and go watch it. Okay. So the figure of the Maverick and the original movie. Rebecca, start us. Start oh, okay. us off. Well, we've already started talking about this concept of the Maverick. Right. And of course... Maverick, Tom Cruise's character, his iconic character Pete, uh, is Pete Maverick Mitchell. Thank you. I was like I, I don't even remember what his actual name is. <laughs> in fact they call him Pete in the sequel a couple of times and I'm like, who? I had no idea that was his name. But um, yeah, his call sign, his nickname is Maverick because that's how he is. Yeah. He just can't play by the rules. He just can't respect the what do they call it the the hard thing that you can't go below right like yeah 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 the the, whatever the thing the thing i can't believe i can't think of it i've seen that fucking movie top gun so many times um he doesn't follow the rules he doesn't do things the way he's supposed to do the way his commanding officers tell him he's a smart ass really it's goose who's the smart ass right which creates a lovely little dynamic, which makes you like Maverick more because he feels irreverent and funny and witty, but he's not. That's all Goose. Right. <laughs> but um, I want to talk about that dynamic a little bit more as we talk about the homosocial interactions in the film. Yes. Yes. But I was thinking about Maverick and this question of this character, this archetype. The man, and as always is a man, right? Of course. Who does things his own way. And um, all of these regulations be damned. They're only only dragging him down and holding him back. He's going to either through clever, sneaky means like an Axel Foley or just through straight up bulldozing his way through. He's just going to do it his way. But also what's interesting about
1: that is that it's not fighting the system by being outside of the system and rejecting the system. It's that, and this is what's so important, it's that he can do the system better Better by not following the rules of the system. So the rules apply to everyone else. Regulations apply to other people, but they don't apply to me.
0: Right, but ultimately his goal is the goal of the system. Whatever structure, power structure he is working within or for, he has the same goals that they do. They're just not letting him do what he has to do to achieve those goals. Yes. And so he's not a rebel, right? He's never rebelling against the power structure. He is working for the power structure at every moment. He's just not doing it their way. Now, I can kind of relate to this idea. As someone who like, when I was a kid, I never liked doing homework. When something felt pointless, or a method of doing something seemed like inefficient to me, I had a tendency to just go ahead and do it my own way. And so I think a lot of people can relate to that idea. We all kind of fancy ourselves to be like that. Like, I'm skilled. I know what needs to be done. I'm capable of doing it. I don't need to be handheld or held back. These people are just, right, they're bureaucrats who are making them a job for themselves. They are creating a need for themselves by creating rules for them to enforce that weren't necessary in the first place. All of that stuff, which would sound like it is critical of a system. But Maverick in this movie and this character archetype generally, he's never actually, like, critical of the system
1: in the sense...
0: And that system is a a militaristic system.
1: I mean... Exactly. And that's what is kind of weird about his maverickness. And they say this in the movie, like, oh, you're going to fly this plane that taxpayers paid for in ways Mm -hmm. that are unsafe for this multi-million dollar machine. Like... Mm -hmm. How you're going to blow the military, meaning the taxpayers money, you're going to behave in ways that are not
0: safe. Like that's that's the weird tension. But. Maverick knows that it is safe because he's just that good. That's Maverick right. makes it safe because he can do it. That's right. They think people can't do it, so they have to make these rules. But those rules don't apply to Maverick because he's so much better. He's a special, special talent. Right. As we all are. Well, all, each and every one of us in this libertarian dream. We are each and every one a very special flower, an absolute talent that shouldn't be constrained or restrained by rules that are meant for regular
1: folks. And that's actually something that's very interesting in terms of the militarism of the movie. Is that idea of the individual, and this is something that I think is really mm. really key, is that the whole course of warfare in the past hundreds of years, literally <laughs> hundreds of years, is that increase of technology in war machines, moving from giant swords to guns that you have to load ball by ball to repeating rifles or whatever, mean that you don't have to fight face to face anymore. Like the entire story of war for the past 300 years is Mm -hmm. the story of the combatants being further right. and further away from one another
0: becoming more and more deep personalized <laughs> yes
1: and so and now if you look at what is warfare warfare is is i mean it's literally up, robots
0: it's drones it's
1: robots or it's it's getting like it's um Messing with the voting systems in the United Uh, States, like it's it's cyber attacks, like that's what it is. It's drones, it's cyber attacks, it's dropping bombs from very far away. But in the world of Top Gun, both in the original movie and as we will see in the new movie, the whole fate of the universe rests on dogfighting, which Mm -hmm. is basically plane versus plane mono-on-mono fighting like every the plot of the of everything rests on the idea that that's what it's really going to come down to
0: okay but it's not man to man face to face it's man to plane because in the original movie we have these enemies they're identified as soviet i always understood them to be russians but I guess they could be North Korean or I don't know. Um, but they, I just as a kid, it was like, well, it's the Cold War. Our enemy is Russia. Like right. that. That wasn't right. a question. But you never see their faces. No, they, they always no are wearing identities.
1: Dark black shiny masks yeah. that obscure them. They have no call sign name. They just have a little red star. Right, <laughs> right, right. right. It's like we see the faces of the americans they don't have a full face shield right. that like not only do we them. see
0: them their faces but we know their faces we know them right. as characters we know their call right. signs we care about right. them right. and so at, at one on the one hand it is instead of being this totally depersonalized totally separate warfare it is dogfights it is man to man in that sense but then on the other hand it's anonymous totally faceless, not-human piloted plane versus dogged, uh, spunky... Talented, yes, brave, whatever—the best American. of the best, yeah, the best yeah. of the best,
1: and and so so that's also very interesting. In that, um, as you said when we were preparing, you're like it's like a video game, and that yes. was one of the big yeah. criticisms of Top Gun. Uh, Oliver Stone, who is not known for his subtlety, uh, told Playboy at the time that Top Gun sold the idea that war is clean, that war can be won. Nobody mm. in the movie ever mentions that the Tom Cruise character, that Maverick, just started World War Three. Right. And even back then, in 1990, uh, years after the movie was made, Tom Cruise was like, "It would be irresponsible to make a sequel because it's not—it's a misleading view of war." Did
0: so, he like, say that?
1: Yes, he said huh. that. Huh. He said that. Huh. So, uh huh. So, so yes, that is the structure of this entire movie.
0: I do want to add. Uh, as many people may know, after Top Gun came out, the first Top Gun, there was a huge spike in military recruitment. Yes, like it inspired loads and loads of people to join the Air Force. Which yes, the movie's not about it's about the Navy, yes. but still, <laughs> people joined the armed forces and particularly the Air Force in droves because they were inspired by this very cool vision of warfare and heroism. So
1: that's the structure that scaffolds this is this military industrial complex pornography. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> to be clear that that privileges the American individual who is dogfighting against the anonymous machine of Cold War Russia that mm-hmm. everything doesn't come down to distant bombs everything really is going to come down to that one guy saving
0: the day. Right. And his cleverness, ingenuity, uh, just having it. And
1: being part of the part of the same aims, but fighting that bureaucracy, fighting all those systems.
0: Right. He's, but he's never fighting. I want to emphasize this. He's never really fighting the systems. He's just shrugging them off for himself. He's ignoring right. them. That's right. But he's not fighting against them in the sense of trying to create any kind of structural change whatsoever. He's no. not interested in structural change. He doesn't seem to see an actual... If he sees an actual problem with the power structure as it exists, he doesn't voice any interest in changing it at all. Right. And ultimately, this, this character of Maverick, Pete Maverick Mitchell, has every privilege in the world. He's already white, male, handsome, has access to... These amazing machines of war, like he's not in a disempowered position really in any way. And actually, then what we're supposed to be invested in as viewers
1: somehow is we're supposed to be invested in this kind of childish competition within the best of the best class between right. him and Val Kil- Like, we're supposed to be, we're actually supposed to give a shit about whether he, among the other top nine best in the world,
0: right? whether will be the his way
1: of being, yeah, will be like, is he going to be number one? And right. I feel like this gets into toxic masculinity
0: <laughs> in yes. a
1: big, big
0: way. <laughs> yes, that definitely brings us to masculinity as a major theme in Top Gun. Yeah, the whole plot of the movie, the central question is who's going to be Top Gun That's right. at Top Gun. In this session
1: of 10, when there's going to be another session of 10, like next month. But like, really, who this time? Yeah, who's the best?
0: Who's going to be number one? And, you know, that's the essence of toxic masculinity right there. That's yes. what masculinity is all about, competition. Yes. Competition, rank, status against other men. The way the movie figures that competition, I think, is really interesting as you pointed out in our conversation before we started recording um it's laced throughout with intense homoeroticism oh yeah i mean i am
1: i'm the like the 70000th person in the world to make that point there's the famous scene where they're like oiled up playing volleyball on the beach mm-hmm. which is like the most homoerotic scene it is just no. there
0: for these. But that that scene that's the obvious one the real homoerotic <laughs> scene is like when they're in the locker room oh and yeah comes up and like oh chest yeah to chest oh him like so hot you're, they you're totally just start Maverick. <laughs>
1: you're dangerous mavic they should just start making out right and then at the end when they finally want each other's respect i'll be your wingman anytime
0: <laughs> oh, oh no. fuck wink, come wink, on
1: right,
0: right. um
1: Super hot, super hot.
0: Let's just—it is be real. well, it is hot. It is one of the um, scenes that we showed at Hunk Fest, if you recall, when we <laughs> yeah. were in high school. We had that sleepover and watched sexy parts from all our favorite movies. <laughs> we definitely watched the volleyball scene from Top Gun. Um, but then I just think it's really interesting that uh, Maverick's relationship with Iceman is this intense competition, but. There is this crazy sexual tension. It's like, and it's also a sexual competition to an extent. It's not like Iceman is after Charlie, the female Mm -hmm. lead. Um, Yeah, Iceman shows
1: no interest in women.
0: Yeah, that's true. He
1: shows no interest in women.
0: But there's definitely a huge performance aspect to the courtship of Charlie at least in that first scene including
1: literally park. performing like the big performing. scene where they're like they all they sing, sing like yeah. you've lost that love and feeling like it's a yeah. big performance. And
0: that performance is as much for all of the other sailors and airmen, you know, aviators as it is for Charlie. 100%. So that's Toxic masculinity to a T right there where the pursuit of women doesn't have to do with the women as people at all. It's them as objects that, you know, you are competing for. Although they they
1: do make her an astrophysicist or whatever. So you can be like, oh, "Oh, yeah, yeah, she's she's
0: she's super competent. In fact, she's like Maverick's superior officer. Right. or you know, she outranks him. But, uh, but that's just so
1: that, you know, she's not like some bimbo so that the feminists don't come after the filmmakers.
0: Anyway, anyway. It's not, that, it's not just for that because a key part of their romance is that she is falling for him and it's not just because of his Tom Cruise 10 million watch smile or whatever the fuck. It's because he's such a fucking good pilot and she right. can't deny it he's just his flag shows real brilliance right right now <laughs> so
1: i want to just so as we're laying down this kind of homoeroticism homosocial uh toxic masculinity women as um as anita sarkeesian says that the competition the toxic masculinity women are the ball like right. yeah, b- exactly. between the men very important idea. But then there's this other thing that's happening alongside of this uh, homoerotic competition, which is father son stuff, which is part of this masculinity thing. There's like this daddy son stuff where part of this arc is that Tom Cruise has a father who is in the military there is some mystery around his death or disappearance mm-hmm. and that's part of why people go oh yeah he's just like his dad oh your dad with this like right. mystery you're good for nothing da- yeah you're good, just for, like you're you good know, for nothing know, dad yeah, dad Did some like, mysterious like, oh, something thing that... <laughs> something and the big arc of it is that he finds out via tom scarrett's kind of daddy you know vipers uh father substitute story that his dad really was a hero and the system covered up his dad's true heroism in the Vietnam War. And that's when Tom Cruise's character, uh, the chip falls off his shoulder <laughs> and, he, and he rejoins and he graduates with his class and like all of this stuff. And he's like, oh, once my dad was a hero, a real, like the real good guy mm-hmm. in the system, I the chip is off my shoulder and I'm back to to being a part of it
0: i've always had issues with this aspect of the movie with the daddy issues of the movie uh because my entire life and as i've said i've watched this movie many times i never really felt like i was picking up the entire story i never got it what was the issue with the dad why did maverick care was he trying to live up to his dad's golden image or was he trying to outrun his dad's bad reputation it seemed or like what, both no, and neither. Or, or was he
1: trying to, to redeem his father by
0: being the best? Right. But then he can only be the best when he finds out that his father already was the best. Right. It doesn't. It never quite made sense to me. And I. It's of a piece with Maverick's whole arc in the film. I never quite understood what is the lesson he needs to learn because it's a, you know classic Hollywood. Three-act structure, you've got all of the pieces there, and one of the pieces in a movie like that is your awesome, talented, likable, great hero has to have some little flaw, some character flaw, that he needs to learn to overcome in order to enter the third act and be ready to win. And it seems like the movie is setting up that Maverick's flaw is his arrogance, that he's just too confident, he's too arrogant, he thinks he knows better than everybody. But ultimately, he does. He knows better than everybody.
1: Well, and this is also what's interesting about the sort of biggest turn in the movie, which is that it's supposed to be that, like, his arrogance gets his best friend killed. Yes. <laughs> like, his, his yeah. very best friend. And yet... What everybody in the military says to him after his arrogance kills his best friend in a practice mission, right? Right. Everybody says, and everybody bends over backwards to say it wasn't, it wasn't your, fault. your fault. And but one it, of the big it actually things that
0: wasn't, though, it was like right, kind but of a freak feels, accident. But he feels, but he feels like it like... was
1: his fault. Well, right. that's the thing. If a movie had stakes, it would make that his fault, right? Right. But it I always doesn't. thought that
0: was strange. They don't want it to be his fault because that would like that would be a heavy weight on the character yeah. and it would have to change his whole outlook on things. But instead of him changing his outlook and being like, wow, I am too arrogant. Maybe I should play by the rules. Maybe they're there for a reason. Maybe I need to be more of a team player and work with others. He doesn't learn any of those lessons. No, but I
1: think that's what it's supposed to be. I think that it doesn't do it in that direct clear way but mm. he's about to leave because he's killed his friend even though everybody's like it's not your fault it's not your fault and they even say and this is part of the masculinity thing they're like you're just gonna have to let it go You're just gonna have to let just go let of that go. whole killing let your best friend you're going to kill a lot of best friends in this line of business. Hey, man. <laughs> <You're> like, <laughs> right? oh, God. Um, Don't dwell on that shit. It's just yeah, a best friend. Yeah, it's just, uh,
0: but, but, um, that, but it's just reifying. It's reifying. It's reinforcing his approach to things that he already had. Well, but that's what I'm saying is that that Viper, uh, Tom Skerritt's
1: daddy substitute, yeah. doesn't tell him the truth about his dad until he's about to leave because of Goose's death. It's like he saves it for that moment. It's uh-huh. it's it's so odd.
0: Structurally, it has the plot structure yes. of hero has a failure, you know, yes. two-thirds of the way through the movie, yes. hero has some kind of failure, feels like he's not going to achieve his goal. Uh, then mentor comes in and gives him this piece of information, and the hero learns something new about himself and goes into the third act with this armed with this new knowledge and Having grown as a person, now able to overcome whatever it was that was holding him back and causing that failure. It has the structure there, except the thing that he learns doesn't relate at all to the failure that he had. It's just like, it wasn't your fault. No, you were fine. You were doing everything fine. Your dad is fine. Right. You don't need to have a chip on your shoulder. Get in there, buddy. Yeah. Keep it up. I think that with
1: all of this, though,
0: Mm
1: -hmm. and this was something that you said that I think is important, Mm -hmm. is that all of those gaps, all of those problems, all of those provision by the script of providing an opportunity for growth that Uh then does not happen, Mm -hmm. all rests on one thing which is that you have to find this character played by this actor completely irresistible.
0: Totally. Because the character, as written, is a dick. Yes. He's just a dick. He's like, yes. he's not cool. Like, when he is wooing uh, Charlie, he's, he's just kind of rude. He he's, uh, sort of stalks her and harasses her. He's kind of um, a little bit disrespectful in terms of um, their respective roles at the school and ranks and everything. And and he's high on himself and thinks he's so great. And it's like, you can only like this character if you're just like, wow, Tom Cruise. Yeah, just, I buy he, you. He's you just are... so suffused with charm. It is weeping from every pore. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. Anything he does, no matter how arrogant, no matter how rude, no matter how flippant, it doesn't, it's never going to seem bad. It's just going to seem charming and adorable and make him all the more irresistible because he's just so great. I ate a pickle. And? And? So it's the taste equivalent of when you're trying to think of a word and it's like right on the tip of your tongue. Like it's like right at the edge. That's what it's like. It's like, I, I can almost taste it. If I really concentrate, I can kind of, I can almost sense it, but it's just not there. Speaking of which, I think it was the hard deck.
1: The, uh, the hard deck, yes, that's was right.
0: The term I couldn't think of, the level they're not supposed to fly beneath, right? Yeah, an altitude. Right. I thought of that just as I was eating that flavorless pickle. <laughs> so, speaking of hard decks, let's talk about the sequel. All right. So, the um, first movie, as we just were saying, relies on you simply adoring Tom Cruise, finding him irresistible, and believing that every other character finds him irresistible, and is so charmed by him and his talent and so forth. And he is so good that he doesn't have to follow the rules Not that there's a problem with the system. He's fighting for the system 100%. He's just got to do it his own way. Okay. How do you take a character like that and age him up 35
1: years? (laughs) Well, that is a really interesting question. And I think that what I want to first start with is that this movie, the making of it, everything about this movie and who produced it, and who made all these creative decisions. It is all about the Tom Cruise-ness of it all. Everything about He didn't about this, just star in it. He... he was the executive producer. This was all about... This is a giant Tom Cruise vanity project. This is a movie as giant as his vanity because Tom Cruise, similarly to Will Smith, who he had an episode about in terms of the King Richard film... There are very few movie stars who still occupy that kind of totality of space. And so all of the decisions about how this character has aged are all about Tom Cruise's vanity.
0: I think so. But I think that it's done in such a way that it makes sense within the universe of this film, if you will. It makes sense for the character in a lot of ways. Okay, well, then let's start with this. The big thing about his career, because the movie ends
1: with him becoming an instructor at Top Gun, the movie from 40 years ago. He's going to go and teach the next round of youth because he's just that good, and they offer him a position. You think, okay, he's matured, he's coming up, now he's going to teach the younger people. But 40 years hence... This character has never gone above the rank of captain because he just still can't be a company man. He's like so good, but still is such a maverick and a
0: rebel. Right. And it is it's an interesting way to start us off. And they say that he's told like you you could be an admiral or or a senator by now, which is true probably for a character like that. But Maverick couldn't be those things. Yes. Yes. Right? Because both of those positions mentioned and any of the paths to success, even the one through teaching at Top Gun, any of those paths that were open to Maverick, all involve having to do bullshit. Yes. At some level, and yes. sometimes you have to do bullshit that isn't really necessary. Because part of the Maverick, part of being the Maverick is not well, having time for that bullshit.
1: And you always have to report to people.
0: Mm-hmm. And then,
1: and you have to report to people who are fulfilling responsibilities, right? And right. then you have to have people report to you, which means right. you have to fill those responsibilities. And he doesn't want the responsibility of having people to report to him. And he yeah. doesn't want to have to report to fucking anybody because he doesn't have to report to anybody. And that's the thing about the giant opening sequence. In the opening sequence, we're supposed to believe that he lives in the desert somehow with this giant, gorgeous. Man cave hanger that you're like, this is Tom Cruise's man cave. It has like a perfect old car that's really gorgeous. And somehow he keeps his few perfect t shirts in like a locker. And he has these old planes that he maintains. And the beautiful, gorgeous car and the beautiful old vintage plane and all of these like weirdly like luxury fetish objects that's where he hangs out so that he can then go. Test the very limits of these new military aircrafts so he's found his perfect place he has his gorgeous luxury fetish object masculine esquire magazine man cave and then he goes and tests the limits of billion dollar planes but he's in the first scene he tests the limits so hard and so past what they can do and what he's supposed to do that he fucking crashes and destroys this like 50, $100 bajillion dollar plane, but still also somehow survives the crash. Like,
0: right. it's no, such a perfect. Maverick. But he doesn't just <laughs> crash the plane. He saves the entire project. They were going to defund it if he didn't reach Mach 9 that day but they weren't going to let him fly. He like takes off
1: before they even can get to the,
0: yeah. Because, right, because they weren't ready, they weren't planning anyway to go to Mach 9 yet. They were working their way up to it. And if he followed that schedule, then the whole thing would be defunded. He's only helping the military industrial complex here. He is helping it function and survive because they need this stealth plane this amazing new technology that he's testing, and they're about to abandon it for some bureaucratic, random, arbitrary Bean counting, yeah. paper pushing, pencil pushing bullshit. So if they want Mach 9, you know, he could follow the plan that they have laid out on the calendar for you to clearly see, or he can just maverick the shit out of it. And he does, and he saves the project, and he saves the military-industrial complex. But um, there's a couple things I want to point out. This situation that we find Maverick in, I think we as as viewers are not meant to read as this is Maverick's perfect place to be. We want more for him. He's all alone. He's nowhere. He's not doing anything actually worthy of his incredible talent. You know, he's not bringing glory to himself or to the United States military. Okay, but pause, pause. But if the movie was telling that
1: story, they'd have him living in this kind of shitty, crappy desert housing. But because of the Tom Cruise right, of right. it all,
0: no, he has to any be of that st- idea has to
1: be undermined by his lifestyle hanging. Even
0: even his first the place where he starts out where we know is not the right place for Maverick has to be fucking awesome and look great. Because yeah. Maverick's gonna be awesome and look great. But he, yes, doesn't want the bullshit of answering to other people, but he also doesn't want the responsibility. Being an admiral or whatever would mean being responsible for other people. And so in a way he is very still arrested. And I think the movie wants you to appreciate that. I think it's having it both ways. It's awesome that he is like this man cave, man child, having gorgeous vintage cars and planes, but also he should probably not be in the middle of desert by himself, which is gonna send you on a journey. But, but they should have set him up like Billy Zabka's character in
1: Cobra no, Kai. No, Like he should be living no. in a shitty apartment,
0: eating pizza, like eating no, shitty bit. Like- no, because Maverick can never fail. And this is not just a Tom Cruise vanity thing. I think it's really essential to the character as figured in the first movie. Maverick can't fail. He's never really going to fail. The closest he comes to failing anything in the first movie is when Goose dies, and it's not even his fault anyway. Right. He just feels bad about it. But the other thing I wanted to mention really quickly, um, because it sort of shapes everything we're going to talk about, is that this sequel. Top Gun Maverick is almost scene for scene a remake. Right. Of Top Gun. Beat for beat. Each scene in this movie has an analog in the first movie. Like, it's almost creepy. Yes. It starts with, okay, it starts with the opening credits, which is on aircraft carrier for some reason. Right. But then there's the scene in the first movie is the scene where they are flying and they encounter the Russian MiGs. Right. And... Then um, the one character um, has a freak out, and Maverick has to disobey orders to help him land safely. Yes. In this movie, that scene is the scene of Maverick disobeying orders to save this This project. project. Yes. Yeah. And it's followed by the superior officer kind of chewing him out. For breaking the rules. But then, then sending him, him. But then saying, but now you're going to go to Top Gun. Yes. The next scene is him in San Diego on the bike. Yep. Uh Driving alongside the airstrip and watching the plane take off. Yep. And like the next scene is, I don't remember. Is maybe that's the bar. Him,
1: no, first he has to go to the, to his. Oh, like, that's right.
0: He has to get like the debriefing on what the mission is. Right. A- and which um, and
1: the debriefing of the mission is all full of like and we know that you're a failure like why did you never go right, past right. captain we're not going to take that bullshit here and you're like oh yeah you will you're going to take that bullshit <laughs> exactly, here like exactly. yeah
0: and yeah in the original movie that was them being introduced to top gun school like scene for scene they match up so they're very easy to compare to each other and um like the first movie You have a lot of the same stuff going on, like a lot of that plane porn, military industrial complex porn. It's just right out the gate, literally out the gate, like one of the first shots is the nose of that high-tech plane coming out of that hangar. Now, what's slightly different is that
1: the big opening sequence focuses a lot more on the community of workers who make Mm. the flying possible, which I thought was very striking. Um, But also, even as they're setting up, and this is part of the Tom Cruise-ness of it all, and like what is the anxiety of this aging movie star that is animating all of this, is that even as they're setting it up, part of the challenge that he's presenting and part of how he's getting spoken down to is that the future is coming and you're not in it. Time is your greatest enemy. You are irrelevant. You are moving into irrelevance. So that's part of this, even as it's a scene for scene checking off the list, that is put into place because what it's saying is this movie is irrelevant but is it? It's No. Is it? Right. Of
0: course not. Of course not. So they're not.
1: setting it up so that as you're watching this going, God, am I watching a scene for scene remake? Is this the end of this character, of this actor, of all of this? And of course, the implicit answer of the film is, of course not.
0: Right. But it also brings into play a theme that is not present in the first movie, which is, of course, in the first movie, he's the young buck coming up and he has daddy issues and he has certain male competitors and male father figure mentor figures in this movie he has to be the mentor figure
1: and he has to be the daddy he has to and that's the whole and that's the whole tension of it is that goose's actual son not a son figure or like the actual son of his dead best friend from 40 years ago is now one of these pilots and there's some plot about how in order to keep him safe because the son isn't ready he kept him from getting into like pilot school and so there's this resentment but he's just
0: is the daddy issue now he is the daddy is the daddy issue but but Before we get into that, and I want to talk about that a little bit, I just want to mention one last thing about this um, Maverick's sort of arrested status in this stage of being a captain where he's not taking responsibility. It not only gives him a point from which he can grow as a character, but as you were kind of pointing out before we started recording, it puts him in a position where he can still be the Maverick because he's not the man. You he, you can't be the maverick if you're the position of highest rank, if you're making the rules, if you're enforcing the rules, which was what he would have to do. So narratively speaking, he's got to be still at this lower rank. And yet somehow magically was never kicked out of the military. <laughs> like, he
1: somehow right. was no,
0: allowed. It's, well, it's not that. They do say basically that Iceman has saved his ass on every occasion.
1: Right. But again, just like they don't put him in a shitty apartment, that uh, that desire for him to stay while not also growing up in it or becoming the man is never seen as something that's kind of sad. Like if we had a friend who, who like kept fucking up because fuck those rules, but then didn't move on to something else, we'd be like you should go talk to a therapist about maybe finding <laughs> another job. Like, right. but, like,
0: we would, exactly that—that that is
1: something that we would worry about for that person. And it's because, and this is actually something that I think in general, I see is like, when we think about Me Too, or when we think about race issues, or when we see people in power, I think one of the things that is a huge problem that I don't see enough people talking about is that, A lot of times when people finally get power, they don't want to acknowledge that like now you have power and with that power comes responsibilities. So when you have all of these professors being like, I just had a drink with my students. It's like you don't want to acknowledge that like you've become a professor there's now power
0: there. yeah. and there's a power
1: yeah. dynamic and you have to because people want to still
0: think that they're the young hip ones. They don't right. want to think that they're right. like, no. And, it's and like, if he doesn't ever get promoted to admiral, then he's always down. I think that's how you put it. He's always one of you kids. I'm just like you kids. But the the movie wants to give him a journey. We don't feel sorry for him in that position. He's not pathetic, the pathetic guy who never was able to
1: even though w- he would be if Tom Cruise wasn't the edit like wasn't the executive producer. Like Tom Cruise can right, never right. let himself look like a loser. And so it has to set up this perfect way where he's still down like one of the kids and he's not a loser and he has this perfect hanger, but he also is not the man. But he also has somehow hung out in this profession for 40 years. Like right. it wants it always.
0: But also we recognize that he needs more than that. He hasn't had a bad life. He's done it his way, which is cool. but also, he's alone, and he probably needs more than that emotionally speaking, and he has to see that no
1: family and he has right. no like, I don't know, friends outside of work. like he doesn't have like, a life. He's kind of frozen in time. yeah, and I feel like that seems to be very important for Tom Cruise. Like, I (laughs) I just feel like in terms of the vanity, it seems like that frozen in timeness is really important. And what I'm saying, because we're here to ruin things that people love, Mm -hmm. is that that fantasy is dangerous because it's a fantasy that allows people to think or yearn towards this idea that they don't have power that they have to acknowledge and take responsibility for.
0: I mean, it goes to the very problem of the Maverick archetype, and Maverick as a character, which is we are supposed to see him as an underdog. We root for him, not just because he's irresistibly charming, but because he's kind of an underdog. Iceman is the villain, even though, what does Iceman do wrong besides just be a really great pilot and also be a little bit arrogant, a lot arrogant? Maverick's arrogant too. But Iceman is like blonde and therefore he is <laughs> Well, that's powerful. the thing, the idea
1: that he have, has ice in his veins, that he's so mm-hmm. cool that he doesn't have the passion, that there's just exactly. this extra element. And it's kind of like actually the uh, Nadal Djokovic, Curios the Wimbledon final, where like Djokovic is like, is Iceman and Curios is a total brat who's having like temper tantrums and screaming at his box, like, you're not supporting me, was that good enough for you? He's like a nut, but he has that fire. And so we're like, ooh, the fire,
0: like. Right, the fire versus the ice. And we see the fire as our protagonist, the one we're gonna root for, because we like the passion. And we like that he does things his own way, which makes him an underdog by definition. Because Correct. he's always going to get in trouble for that. Correct. It all works together to create this character who's always going to be down and never be the man. And that is a really dangerous fantasy because he, just exactly what you said, he has all kinds of power in this world. He is like at least the second best aviator of yeah. all the best aviators. But we have to see him as an underdog and romanticize that. And pretend that he is not the one in control of all these situations.
1: And so this sets us up for his character growth arc. So right. we're not supposed to, there aren't enough stakes that he's like a loser, like drinking beer and eating mac and cheese. Like we, we don't have any of that. But he is somebody who wasn't a real dad, he never really replaced Goose as this father figure. He sort of does it from afar. He doesn't, he's not in any kind of relationship. And in addition to never wanting to follow the orders, he doesn't give them, he's never actually taken that responsibility. So he's put in a situation, which is, you know, perfect for him because he gets to win with no real stakes or looking like a loser, um, where all of a sudden he has to finally, he has to prepare these young pilots for this very dangerous mission. Yes. And the bureaucrats who have set it up are essentially setting these kids up for an impossible-to-survive mission. And his job is to train them to succeed in this impossible-to-survive mission, but he wants them to survive, and the bureaucrats don't really give a shit.
0: Right. Are they. They don't think it's possible because they lack that fire and passion and imagination. Because they couldn't do it. Because they they they, couldn't do it. They don't think it was possible because if they had to fly
1: it, they wouldn't survive.
0: Right. But Maverick knows he could do it. Therefore, it can be done and he can teach the kids to do it. Now, on the one hand, this aspect of the film gives it much higher stakes. As soon as you're getting into the second act, you are presented with high stakes yes. that the first movie did not have. The stakes yes. of the first movie were who's going to win, who's going to be the best of the best. Right. But in this movie, right off the bat, they're like, we're going to send a handful of young pilots to die. Yes. Will you train them to maybe not die? And you're like, yes. oh, okay, that's well, stakes. <laughs> but it's also like, will you train them to
1: maybe not die is not as important as will you train them to succeed in the mission on the military's part whether they die or not it's kind of exactly
0: not, exactly not as important it's not well it's it's not yeah it's not that it's not important it's just that it's already a loss that they've written off right yes correct the mission can get done without saving them they're fine with that and he right. is not so are we seeing a criticism Of Of the the military? military? I mean, we're
1: seeing a criticism of the system. And I feel like that's a huge part of every Maverick character is that there's always an evil bureaucrat. Like the evil bureaucrat is key. It's key. You cannot have it without the evil bureaucrat.
0: Right. And it is so individualized. That it, it's almost not the system as so much as the bad people within the system. Right. And not bad, necessarily evil, but just the less competent people, the people with bad yes. priorities within the mm-hmm. system. Well, it's very much the
1: whole, like, those who can't do, teach. And then right. those are the people who are, like, setting the rules. But you could, if, you know,
0: like, right. it, yeah. Well, this this movie is the one who can do, teaches and what you can't do tell the teacher what to do right um but i just think it's very interesting now that i'm thinking about top gun and and this archetype of all of the various systems that one could wish to sort of rebel within or not follow the rules of it's the military the military It's the military where rank and rules and like Following the orders of those who outrank you is just the essential thing. It's actually (laughs) the the whole, whole it's the first
1: thing and the last thing. It is the whole thing.
0: So it almost is like the movie is hinting at a criticism of the military, the military bureaucracy, the military's priorities. Right. And yet, clearly,
1: this mission has to be done. Because right. this is a nuclear facility. Well, you know what I mean? There's, like, never...
0: there's never a question yeah, about that's one thing that never happens in the movie. Right. No one asks, well, why is this necessary? Is there a different way we could accomplish the aims of this mission? I don't know, maybe a non-military diplomacy? Way? yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no.
0: Yeah, no. No. That's a no. that's not brought up. That's not yeah, brought up.
1: Not even a little bit. So that's something that you're like. So again, it sets up this situation where the military's right. This mission is is critical has to happen, but also, they don't really care about the lives of these pilots. but also, Iceman protects, but also like it yeah. just sets it's like the whole world of this movie uh-huh. is set up just for his character. To have exactly the challenges and growth that Tom Cruise wants to have. Like everything about the world is set up in that so that there are no real conflicts that in any way are actually challenging. And it's trying to associate. And what's weird is that the American military spending has never gone down. But there's some sense that like, oh, is the military going to be irrelevant? Are you, Tom Cruise, going to be irrelevant? Like that's the anxiety I, that they sort of unite.
0: Well, the anxiety also goes to what you were saying earlier about the changing nature of warfare. When he's told at the beginning of the movie the future is coming and you're not in it, that is specifically a reference to, like, unmanned aircraft. Yes. And the changing technology, that he literally, there will be no use for him. And and so one narrative that we're seeing in the film is Maverick proving his indispensableness. Yes. As a tool of war.
1: Yes. Yes, (laughs) and And again, we're reiterating that dogfights... Are everything. At the end of the day, you could have yeah. a fucking nuclear weapons dropped by drones, but really, you want to win, it's going to come down to the fucking dogfight, man.
0: And the enemy is even more anonymous than in the first movie. And the yes. first one they are identified as at least being Soviet. Here, there is no identification. They never say anything about what country it is, but it's like they're enriching uranium or something. And yeah, yeah, supposed yeah. to be. And I was sure that when they got to the actual battle, it would be in the desert. <laughs> right. Like, that right. is what I was expecting. And lo and behold, it's in the snowy mountains, which doesn't mean it's not, um, you know, Afghanistan It doesn't mean it's not Iran. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> it's Iran. I mean, apparently, actually, in other countries, uh-huh. they say Iran. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that, that, like, in other countries, they were, like, oh. in earlier cuts. They or were, like... in the
0: international version. Yeah, of it's
1: like, it's Iran. Um, but, but, yeah, they But that's really
0: interesting because it's taking for granted... Like, the movie just completely takes for granted this idea that the United States is going to conduct a military operation in the airspace of a sovereign foreign nation that is probably... Evidently, totally unknown to the public and they will never know about. Uh, and we have not declared war on this country, but we're going to we're going to actually commit an act of war. Yeah. And
1: again, like Oliver Stone says, it's he's starting World War Three, but we're not supposed to at all deal no, but, with that.
0: But that's it's not just that it's not dealing with that. It's, it's taking it for granted that this is a thing we do. That yes. like, wink, wink, we all know the U.S. military is going about having encounters, having war encounters with other nations, conducting missions on foreign soil. And right. and we just expect that that's happening. So they have set up the entire world of the film.
1: We've set all of that up so Tom Cruise can have his ideal world of growth. That's Yes. Everything that it's set up. And I want to set up a foil towards his aging stuff, Mm -hmm. um, which is the thing having to do with something we mentioned earlier, which is that he has no meaningful personal life. Right. So Val Kilmer, who played Iceman, makes an appearance in this movie, which is notable because Val Kilmer had throat cancer. Yeah. And because of that, can no longer speak. Mm -hmm. He doesn't even he doesn't speak in this movie. He mostly types. but they want us to know that Val Kilmer's character, that Iceman has become the sort of Tom Skerritt character, almost beat for beat. Like he's living in the same house. That's one thing that's really weird about this movie. Like his his love interest is living in the same house it's of the love the interest from 40 house. years ago. It's, but it looks exactly... It's so similar. It it's, exa- so it's on similar. the same kind of corner in Bunker yeah. Hill. It's like the same thing. Yeah, And then... Similarly, it seems like Val Kilmer's character, like Iceman, is living in Viper, Tom Scared's character's house with the same children and (laughs) And the the same same wife. wife. (laughs) (laughs) So he's become Tom Scared and he's gone from being Mr. Iceman to being Mr. Family Man.
0: Right. Like he's gotten
1: to live a full, rich life. So when he dies, people sob and there are families that are weeping for him and like... Tom Cruise is not that, and he never got to be that. Um, he he has this love character played by Jennifer Con- Connelly, who looks great, by the way, and is actually somewhat age-appropriate yeah. for him. Um, and there's this way that they were together, but he was too distant, and I don't want to do it. And like, so now they're sort of reunited. Uh-huh. So now we have all of the ingredients for Tom Cruise to have his ideal arc of growth. Yes. So what is that
0: arc of growth? Well, there are two major components to it. One is the relationship with the Jennifer Connolly's character. Yes. That he has had some kind of on-again, off-again relationship with her, but he has basically run out on her. Right? Yes. He's never been able to be there because yes. this is the, his one actual flaw is that he um, cuts himself off from other people. He's alone and he has kept himself alone, apparently deliberately. And so the one of the the subplot here is that he has to demonstrate to her that he is uh, for real this time. That that he... and
1: demonstrate not just to her but to her daughter. Mm-hmm. So part of that is they have some love scene, which I've got to say was kind of a huge bummer of the movie because I, I guess in this world, middle-aged people don't have hot sex; they just like lie in bed and talk about their
0: feelings. Like I there's fucking no loved fucking. That. I, I oh my god! I, come I loved come it, on. The, but the reason I loved it is because it starts <laughs> with the same shot as the love scene. From the first movie, like the same shot of him like leaning over her, and I was like, "Oh my god, they're gonna recreate the love scene shot for shot." <laughs> and if you remember, those love scenes in the first movie were pretty steamy. Like, there's a lot yeah, of silhouetted, a lot of, a lot pretty, of tonguey kissing, yeah, a lot of tongue. and, yeah. and so I was like. Ready for that. And then like the next shot is they're laughing and talking, and it's like a couple of And it's dissolves. like a
1: Cialis, it's like yeah. a Cialis commercial. Oh my God, it it's is like, exactly a Cialis <laughs> commercial. Totally a Cialis commercial. And so when the, he sneaks out because she doesn't want her, her teenage daughter to know, and she, he runs into the teenage daughter, and the teenage daughter says, Don't hurt her again. And I feel like that's the one time where you're like, oh him being Mr. Maverick has had a cost. Right. He has hurt people and people do not trust him. <laughs> like, exactly. But, oh, there you go. But okay.
0: that also the daughter also goes to the primary arc of growth, which is him taking this more parental role, taking this responsibility yes. in taking yes. on this job. He's already taking yes. responsibility of trying to save the lives of these pilots, teach them to survive this mission. But there's the specific relationship with Rooster, the son of Goose. Yes. Who has a strained relationship with Maverick because Maverick, as you said, Maverick held him back. Um, But
1: in this very vague way, like know. I kept you out of this, this, you know, going to the academy, but then I wasn't really there as a dad. I didn't think you were
0: I- ready. Like he was there. He wasn't there. He tried to protect the kid. And I thought when we were watching it that the growth arc was going to be that Maverick was going to have to admit that Rooster is ready, that his growth arc has to be letting go of trying to protect Rooster from Goose's fate. And that's kind of it, but not exactly. No, because what happens is, because
1: this is all about the Tom cruise of it all, It couldn't be that he just sends these kids that he's prepared out and has to deal with the consequences of being a parent and being responsible to people coming up after him, in addition to being responsible up the chain and responsible down the chain. Right. It's that he has to end up leading the expedition. No,
0: he has to go on the mission himself. Yeah.
1: Of course. Yeah, he has to lead the mission himself. Like, that's...
0: But he does choose Rooster to go on the mission. And did Maverick choose Rooster because he saw that Rooster was ready and had to let go of his fear that he wasn't ready? In other words, did he bring Rooster because he valued what Rooster brought to the mission? And and the movie has already established that Rooster doesn't do things Maverick's way. He's more cautious and follows the rules. Yes. Or did Maverick bring Rooster on the mission because he thought it would be a good learning experience for rooster a chance for him to break out of his too safe approach and learn how to do things correctly the maverick way
1: right correctly by which we mean
0: incorrectly,
1: incorrectly. <laughs> right right it's unclear what is clear what is clear is that what was very clear to me is that in that final stretch Part of the setup of this arc of growth that I'm taking on this role is that for a good hot second, you're supposed to think he's going to die on the mission. That Maverick's going to die. That Maverick's going to sacrifice himself. yeah Because that's what the mentor
0: is supposed to do. And it makes sense in a movie of this type, the legacy character coming in as the mentor. What are they fucking supposed to do? They're supposed to die to make space for the next generation. Yes to, to take their place. Yes. But but Tom Cruise don't do that. No. That's not what's no. gonna happen. No. Although we weren't sure we were in genuine suspense. But um I, I think the movie does true. the movie does answer the question of why he picks Rooster. He picks Rooster as a lesson for Rooster. He yes. tells him, remember, don't think. This is yes. the lesson. Don't think. Just yes. go with your instinct. Just this go. This is the, the yes. life-saving lesson.
1: Yes. And then they both kind of end up behind enemy lines, saving mm-hmm. each other.
0: Right. Because Rooster defies orders and goes back to save Maverick, who has sacrificed himself for Rooster. Yes. But isn't dead. Yes. So in his following Maverick's advice, Rooster goes and endangers both of them, or at least endangers himself when only Maverick had been in danger. Yes. But that's the Maverick way, right? Yes.
1: Obviously, the scenes were full of suspense, very pleasurable. Early in the movie, when they're talking about the airstrip, they mentioned that this enemy side has old F-14s. And then, of course, when they're trying to escape and they've destroyed their planes, all of a sudden I was like, oh, my God, they're going to get out using the F-14s. And Rebecca said one of the best things I've ever heard, which was like, it's Chekhov's (laughs) F-14.
0: I hadn't thought of it, but you mentioned it. And I was like, of course, they talked about of the course. F-14s at the very beginning of the movie. They, and they introduced weren't the gun again. in the
1: first act. It's going to go <laughs> off in the fifth. It <laughs> has to happen. So Chekhov's F-14. It's all very, very pleasurable. And in the end, Tom Cruise has led the mission,
0: mm-hmm.
1: gone back to his woman, and become a parent not only to her child, but to Rooster,
0: mm-hmm. Goose's
1: son. He has become a father, a teacher. He's let his profession go. He is back in his perfect man cave taking his girly out in his gorgeously restored lifestyle okay. plane. Um, he he has he has won everything. He has given nothing, and everything is very glossy and nothing. perfect.
0: He put his life on the line to stop those maybe Iranians, from uh, enriching uranium or something. (laughs) Given nothing
1: because then we realized there were never real stakes.
0: Well, there were were never real stakes is true in the sense that Maverick was going to be fine. He's either going to be the cool Maverick guy who just never became a senator because that wasn't his style. Or he's going to become still the cool Maverick guy, but kind of a dad figure. <laughs> like, right. But either then way also, is fine.
1: Any regrets he might have had about like having, a you know, having his own family or like any of those things that people might regret when they've spent their whole life being alone in every way. Mm. Like <laughs> he doesn't seem to have any of those regrets. Like it's good. He has yeah. a really well. Because when like, you're
0: Tom Cruise, she'll wait forever. It doesn't matter how many times your teenage daughter witnesses you, her teenage daughter witnesses you breaking her heart, whatever. She's still going to be there. She might give you a little bit of a hard time depending. Because
1: you're irresistible. And that, I think, is what it comes down to in terms of Tom Cruise's vanity. He needs to be shown flying actual planes. He needs to be seen with his shirt off. He I needs mean, to look like he has a portrait of himself behind a curtain somewhere. That's the thing. He is still irresistible and he is not willing to accept aging. He is not willing to accept death. The, the
0: theme, the, the, you know what? The theme of the movie is, is embodied in the scene at the bar at the beginning of the movie, right? The analog of that scene in the first movie is where they're at this crowded Navy bar and he sees Charlie for the first time. He sings, you know, he serenades her. You've lost that loving feeling. You've lost that loving feeling. Everyone joins in, and then he falls her into the bathroom. That's that scene. In (laughs) this movie, all the young pilots come in, and Tom Cruise is made to leave. He's kicked out of the bar, and then he's on the outside looking in. He's literally on the outside looking in through the windows as Rooster... Sings the Jerry Lee Lewis song. Great Everyone balls of fire. Joins yeah. in, yeah. Great balls of fire, and they're all together, carousing, and he is on the outside looking in. So the journey is from that to leading the mission. Yes, that's the yes. It's it is a hundred percent. You know, on the surface, it's about taking responsibility. Uh, Forging relationships, uh, you know, letting go of your fears and trusting people. But really, it's about people think you're irrelevant, you're on the outside, only Iceman appreciates your genius, to you are the fucking hero of the show, you can do shit no one else can do, you're so good at it, you can help other people do it, stuff they
1: thought was impossible. Right, which is basically tom cruise saying hey guys i know there have been a lot of scientology documentaries in the past few years like he still feels like the outsider like okay my wife left me and that's and that is the perfect it is tom cruise feeling like even though he is still the probably one of the most powerful people in hollywood
0: people know
1: some of his dirt so really he's an outsider who has to prove to all of us that he is immortal irresistible eternal doesn't age he is still the star he was 40 years ago and it's it's all all
0: true (laughs) i'm sorry but i loved top gun maverick
1: i feel like To have somebody like that, that his narcissism is so huge that it can deploy that much money to make that movie that puts him at the center. Like, it's amazing that the movie worked as well as it did given all of the things it had to negotiate to make sure that it was still gonna be him as the winner in every fucking way at the end of
0: the day. I am impressed with it in that sense. It's a amazing feat of craft. To accomplish all the things you just said and do it so well, yes. And this plot is so well structured, and the stakes are intense, and the characters likable enough, and everything is in place for you to feel exhilarated by it. You get sucked into it. Like I, you, you're not gonna find a more cynical person than me. But like by the end, at the climax, I'm like woohoo! Like really enjoying Which the ride. Which then makes
1: doubly sad how much King Richard because clearly for Will Smith ah uh, what an interesting comparison King Richard was his like Will Smith and Tom Cruise like they are it they are fucking it in terms of the pure charisma drives everything everything is structured for their persona
0: right like they are you are creating their own star text uh, at, at, in a very conscious and deliberate way at every turn. absolutely
1: Right. And yet, King Richard really failed, maybe because they thought they were telling the story of Richard Williams. But Tom Cruise figured out how to make his narcissistic ego produce entirely pleasurable movies, which is what makes it so horrifying and corrupt and terrifying.
0: Or awesomely entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> or both. It's a little bit of both. It's all A little, bit, things.
1: Of a little bit of both. All right, listeners, I really hope we ruined that for you.
0: I would love to also hear what our listeners have to say. Your thoughts about uh, Top Gun and Top Gun Maverick. Anything you have to say about it? What did we miss? What did we forget to talk about? Yes. You can um, contact us via email. We are saucepodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on all the social medias as at podcast.
1: You can find me at Maya Garance anywhere you're looking for Maya Garances.
0: And you can reach me as at Gynostar on all the various platforms. And, of course, you can join our Patreon at patreon.com slash saucepodcast. And all patrons at all levels get to come onto our Discord channel, the Sauce Speakeasy which is a great place where you can talk directly to us about this and any other stuff you want to chat about. We're talking abortion. We're talking
1: (laughs) the end of the world. We're talking TV shows. We're talking music. We're talking about it. Come join us and tell us what you would like us to ruin because we are here for you.
0: Until next time, adios, amoebas.